Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. We're two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hey, Eve. Hey, Kieran. How are you? I am exhausted, but my midterms are over. Yay. So... Spring break is coming. You're almost going to be in town. So, um, East Bay, Oakland, Northern California, do you want to hang out? Let me know. I'm going to be in town. Yes. (laughs) And we should, we're still thinking about doing like a live recording, I think on the 23rd. Yeah. We'll throw up. 23rd. We'll throw up a link. We'll put it live on some social media of some kind. And you can, um do a full-on proper hangouts while we shoot this shit (laughs) yeah and if you live in the bay area then hop on bart and get off at 19th street and come to my office and you can watch yay it's gonna be so fun i'm really excited i'm so excited to show you pupper (laughs) o'clock and you will understand why i have this tattoo on my arm well i mean i i feel like i do understand it because i i haven't been there proper but my aunt lives in the area and she works the night shift in one of the hospitals in san francisco and so but she lives pretty close to there and so she's over by lake merritt with walking her dogs and i've been there so with, you get it i've been there yeah. with her yeah i haven't been yeah. there at pupper o'clock proper but i've been there with her and her dogs at other hours nice yeah well pupper o'clock is like a wave of time between four and seven i'm gonna get like so. really homesick for Blanche. <laughs> You've probably been there it's gonna be a yes thing. um the other thing i want to say guys is i am gonna be at awp in portland the following weekend so if you are coming to awp come find me and say hi i'll be at the um the booth for holland's university's mfa program with the jackson center for creative writing and i will also be um taking a couple shifts at the rumpuses table since i'm now a features editor over there um Grats. which by the way if you have nonfiction essays that are baller please submit them to the rumpus and i will eventually find my way to them um Go through the regular submittable thing and let me know you're submitting so um, I can take a peek and see if I love it. That sounds awesome. Yeah, super. I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's really good. That's a It's a good little crew there. Um, once they ousted the predatory patriarch who founded it, right. like Marissa says it's the rumpus matriarchy and I really am enjoying being part of that. It's great. It's great. Um, speaking of matriarchy and patriarchy, (laughs) (laughs) all right, we have with us this week a special guest, Robert from the Behind the Bastards pod, a good friend of mine and a, uh, a conflict journalist. We're going to hear a lot about that stuff. Um, another kind of conflict journalist later in this episode, but, uh, Robert's been covering the Christchurch shooting, which I think is particularly relevant to what we want to talk about here. So uh, take it away. Yeah, you guys wanted me to explain the term dog whistling. And uh, if you've ever actually had a dog whistle or blown one, you know that you know you can't hear it, but dogs can. And so that's sort of what the term is. is it's, a, it's a signal that is, can go without being heard by most people 
um, but is heard by the right people. And the Christchurch Shooters Manifesto was filled with that sort of stuff. The only way to recognize it um, would be if you spent a lot of time in the same weird corners of the internet that I did when I was like age 14 through, you know, 22, 23 or so, um, starting places like Something Awful and 4chan and eventually 8chan. So uh, he had a number of different little in-jokes in there, references to memes, like the remove kebab meme, which is actually like, it's a, it, it, it started out as like, basically a, like a, a joke music video made by a bunch of Serb nationalists celebrating a Serbian war criminal who massacred Muslims uh, during the Yugoslavian oh, Civil War in the in the 90s. Um, and then oh, it went viral God. again on 4chan and 8chan in the, the mid, you know, 2000s and, and sort of like, you know, most recently a couple of years ago. Um, and it's sort of a dog whistle for kill Muslims, remove kebab because Muslims like kebab, you know, kill Muslims. So it's basically the like the the all of the the chivalry code stuff about like kill infidels. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's it's that sort of thing, but it's updated for a modern age and an internet savvy audience. And like the guy literally wrote remove kebab on his gun. Um so it was oh, God. it's oh my God. it's it's subtle in that like I you know an average like 45-year-old journalist from the New York Times trying to make sense of all this would look at that and be like what the, what the hell does that mean? Um but Man. somebody on 8chan will look at that and laugh and be like, oh, my God, like he made a he made a, a, me, a funny meme joke. He made a reference to this meme that we all joke about. If our listeners don't know what 8chan is, um, is that where just like the badness gets multiplied by two? Yeah, let me explain a little bit of that history because it's important. Um, it started out. Yes, so you've got thanks. something awful, which is the sort of the 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 nexus point of all of Internet culture, really. Like it's where a lot of it started out and like starting in like the late 90s, like Goatsy really they got started off on something awful. That's where it spread a lot. And a goon, which is what something awful people like members of those forums called their members, like something, the something awful forums were the largest early forums on the internet. Um, or one of mm -hmm. them at least, um, where a lot of early memes spread, but they were very heavily moderated. It cost $10 to, to be a member. So if you got banned, there was an actual cost. And like the mods would ban you for racism and like talking about Nazi stuff. Man, so it sounds like Twitter Bruh. when it was actually good. Yeah, 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 it was. And it, Something Awful still around. It's still a fun site. You can find a lot of good there. Um, but one member of Something Awful, a guy named Moot, broke away to create 4chan which had no moderation and no limitations on free speech. And then around the time Gamergate kicked off, uh, 4chan was obviously the nexus point for Gamergate. And when that mm -hmm. got too hateful and too violent for the people in charge of 4chan to stand, they banned the Gamergaters from 4chan, and that's where we get 8chan. Um, so it is, <laughs> like, at this point, just an explicitly, I would call it like a neo-Nazi reactionary uh, message board on the internet, and it, it's a place where increasingly, this is not the first shooting that uh, that has happened from a, a person on 8chan, um, and it's not the first shooting to come out of the chans either. In fact, it wasn't the first shooting yeah. this week to come out of the chans, because in Brazil, oh my God. the same week as the Christchurch shooting, a couple of kids shot up a school in Brazil, and they posted it on right. a Brazilian 4chan board. Um, so... Right. Uh. Like, this stuff is, this stuff is insidious, this stuff is viral, and like, like, the homeschoolers got the like super highfalutin flowery version of it. <laughs> yeah. We had we had like more elaborate vocabulary. So his his manifesto is full of dog whistles that originated from these online forums and these memes. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's it's full of this sort of like he he very much is making himself into a white savior narrative too, which I know y'all will talk about. Um, mm-hmm. Like that's very much a part of this. Um, and there's a lot of like I know that you know one day I'll be let out of prison and like seen as a, a, a revolutionary rather than as a criminal, and you know I'll get a white virgin to fall in love with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not quite that explicit, but I I don't know much about this guy's uh, sexual history, but I'm going to guess it was not uh, stunningly successful in that realm of life. Right. Well, and I I mean, a lot of these these guys, like a lot of the the rhetoric they steal from each other, it's a it's a it's an imitation culture. Um, It's aspirational. A lot of the, the rhetoric is really repetitive and you get stuff like. If you've watched the Ilsa Vista shooters little video chant like, oh, yeah. rants, it's a lot a lot of the same language. It's a lot of the stu- same stuff that like drove the the Austin bomber um, and Columbine. Like all, it's all the yeah. all these things are very 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 interconnected. Yeah, and there's a surprising vein of prudishness within 8chan because obviously, like, it's some of the most vile humor, most racist humor, most sexist humor you'll ever come across. But a lot of it is in service of an ideology that is weirdly close in certain ways to the one y'all grew up with, close in certain ways for its belief of what women ought to be doing, for its belief Mm -hmm. of, uh, of, of what is appropriate sexually, for its belief of... Like for a bunch of guys who, to by their own admission, spend all of their time masturbating to bizarre anime porn, um, there's a weird vein of prudishness in a lot of what they have to say. <laughs> yeah, they are the guys yeah. who are gonna like open the door at thirty paces for you. Some of them, yes. yeah. Some of them will would wouldn't open the door for you because you'd be a whore for wearing a t-shirt. Mm. Oh, right, because I, sh- I showed that I had boobs. Yeah. <laughs> They would yeah. like the modesty checklist I grew up with. They might have participated in it. Yeah, they might have participated in that modesty survey that this, that Harris has created. I'm going to guess most of them grew up kind of like I did in uh, moderately conservative houses um, or perhaps even like liberal houses in the suburbs where their parents did not understand the internet and their internet time was mm-hmm. not at all regulated. Mm-hmm. Um and that's where, like, I, I got lucky in that when I found the internet, I found something awful where, you know, for all of the weird and gross shit that wound up on that site, the, the people in charge made a real point of being like, there's some fucking lines, and we're not okay with racism, yeah. we're not okay with Nazism, like, we'll, we'll, we'll let a six-year-old or whoever's, like, watching, like, pull up a picture of the Goatsy guy opening up his, like, bleeding rectum to the world like whatever we think that's funny but like you start talking you start throwing the n-word around and you'll get their lines yeah yeah so and and i'll just i'll go on my little soapbox here if you're a parent whose kids are unsupervised on the internet like do what you will but my one hard line that i would recommend you not do is youtube because it's like recommended watch this next autoplay Uh. feature will lead you into some real cesspools that promote this kind of stuff and it will like have different voices for familiar cartoons Mm -hmm. talking about stuff that's dog whistle e um yeah. and indoctrinating these kids and you can look at this video and look be like oh look it's the Teletubbies seems fine but they're actually but what they're not. saying is totally not and um and there's there's some really good articles about that I think Vox has one from last year or the year before um but what else would you recommend our listeners look into if they want to learn how to recognize dog whistles and learn how to like 
uh, appropriately watch what their kids are are absorbing on online? Uh, I mean, that's a great question. Um, some of it is just you have to watch what they're watching on YouTube and pay attention to what they're actually consuming because the way the algorithm works is it's it's going to push them towards. Like it, it, it can be it can very subtly start with like more and more extreme content and you kind of just have to be monitoring it yourself. Like it's it's one of those things where, you know, I when I was a kid, I just couldn't watch certain things. And I think most kids were like that. But it was always like if you watch something you weren't supposed to, you were like watching a movie with more bloody gunfights or more more naked yeah. tits. Like my parents were worried that I might see a naked lady too early. And now kids are <laughs> like being exposed to Nazism too early. Um, right. So it's just a matter of like, they can't be, they can't be looking at this shit uh, completely unmonitored. And like, mm-hmm. to be honest, like the best thing you can do is apply pressure as a parent to these companies, um, to the advertisers who, who put money into YouTube, because that's the only thing YouTube cares about is their bottom line. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, it's one of those things, like we talk about monitoring their online time, but every kid seems to have a smartphone these days, and I don't know how much you really can. I don't know how possible that is. It's yeah. not. It's something that needs to be fought. So recently, um, one of my, my mom friends from CREG, who um, is a good advocate for children's rights and some stuff that's really important to us, um, she was finding herself shadow banned by Facebook for talking about anti-vaxxers in a negative light and i think she fell into the algorithm of um facebook's rolled out some new um some new uh limitations on what they're um allowing to be posted on the site in terms of vaccines being related to autism and um anti-vaxxer like myths but i think there's also some stuff that they're trying to roll out in terms of like um limiting nazi propaganda do you think that stuff's successful? Do you think that they even know what to look for or what they're doing? Didn't they partner with, like, Fox News? <laughs> so I have serious questions. I mean, I have a lot of questions, too. I'm just I'm just opening it up. Their partnership with uh, journalists to attempt to, like, curb the spread of fake news and, like, monitor this stuff better has been pretty garbage. Um, you know, you talk to, like, Brooke Brukinski and some of the other people who did work with them, and they were not good at it. Um Mm-hmm. And part of it's because they're not willing to put any money into it. It's not the kind of thing where yeah. you can just have somebody viewing a thousand things a minute and pay them $9 an hour and give them no mental health care. It, it breaks people. It <laughs> radicalizes them. There was a good article yeah. on that yeah. recently. There's a good podcast on that I listened to recently, too, about the content, the content monitors, the farms. It, it, this is, it's so tough to like figure out what ought to be done. Uh, I do think them attempting to purge anti-vax content is a positive thing. Just like them banning these people is a positive. Some of these people has been a positive thing. Them banning Al- Al- Alex Jones getting banned from a bunch of these sites is a good thing. Mm-hmm. It reduced yeah. his reach. It has hurt his bottom mm-hmm. line. People like um, Milo Yiannopoulos being platformed has hurt his ability to reach people. And now he's $2 million in debt. And, and like that. Being that, platformed means yeah. having your platform eliminated across social media. And, and honestly, like that's and the problem with that is that they want this solution to be algorithmic. And I don't know that I've seen any evidence of that really helping. But when they ban the bad actors, that works because then those they want people a technical can't... solution to a social problem, but it doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. The, the fact of the matter is that what they really need to do uh, if they want to make the problem better is spend half a billion dollars creating a sizable fact checking and vetting operation 
like a, a news magazine or magazine or an organization would have to do. Um, it's one of those things where I, I've been talking. My article on the Christchurch shooting went viral, and so I've been on, you know, the BBC World News and NBC and, and CBC and all these other fucking. And we'll put a link up to that so you guys can read it. It's on Bill and Cat. And so I've been I've been talking to a lot of journalists about this who are older school journalists. And one thing I will talk about when I, I try to explain the problem of these algorithmic solutions is, look, if you working for NPR or, or the BBC were to publish something objectively false, you would suffer significant professional consequences. Your, mm -hmm. your platform, your outlet would suffer significant consequences. People would trust it less. It would be a problem. Mm -hmm. If YouTube leads 10 million people to Holocaust denial documentaries, they just make money. Yeah. Yeah, there's, yeah. No, there's no pain. Yeah. That's the big problem. And that's the thing that like, like any solution parents could deal with in their own lives outside of boycotting these companies and trying to hurt their bottom line is just a band-aid because this world is still out there and there will always be more parents who won't watch what their kid sees and some of them will go up that down that rabbit hole and wind up buying an AR15 and some body armor and painting a bunch of shit on it and live streaming themselves murder a bunch of people that's just where we are right so calling congressmen can probably help a little bit with this but probably just like writing letters about this letting your friends and family know and asking them to write letters about this you know complaining directly to the company is probably the best thing that people can be doing yeah that's one of them complaining to politicians is good like ta like elizabeth yeah. warren just um announced that she wants to to break up a lot of the big silicon valley companies i think that's that's a great step i think um, yeah i think i think liz and and uh i think liz liz is a terribly disrespectful way to re reference her <laughs> senator warren and uh senator sherrod brown are also um they're both of them are very up on this. I think there's a couple other senators who are very aware of the yeah. significance of this stuff. The senators it, from Hawaii, Hirono and Schatz, they're really up on this. Yeah. It's good. And like, don't underestimate your state politics, like, or even your local politics, like get a local ordinance passed, get a state ordinance passed. Like it's everything starts local. So start there. Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot of good work being done on that level um, that could be replicated elsewhere in terms of how people have been responding to Nazi presence in Charlottesville and white supremacists in Charlottesville. Um, I mean, it's not it's not perfect, but there's been a lot of like activism and heat put on like the city council. People are activists are showing up to city council meetings. You see that in um, Sacramento too after yep. um, that shooting last year. People are still putting heat on them, and so that's the kind of stuff that you can do throughout. Um, your state and your municipality in terms of showing up and demanding some action, um, some referendum or something to be done about these sorts of uncontrolled access to uh, propaganda. There are probably really already like organizations plugged into like the high schools or something that are advocating for this. Yeah. Well, Robert, thank you so much for joining us. Do you have anything else you want to throw out before we let you go? Nope, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where can people find you and support you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at IWriteOK. You can find my articles on Bellingcat, which uh, is a great investigative platform that you ought to be reading. Um, and I have a podcast called Behind the Bastards. All right. And you uh, recently threw up a Kickstarter, right? Oh, a GoFundMe, but that's already that's already made more than enough money. Okay. Nice. That's a great well, problem to dig have. Dig around, dig around, and see see if you can you can help him out um, further. I mean, he's he's doing really good 
work researching this stuff, and it's, it's very important and timely. Well, so, if, you, if you've got money you. that you want to send, send it towards the Rural Organizing Project. They're doing great work in trying to de- de-radicalize rural communities in Oregon. Um, they could sure use oh, your money. Awesome. Um, it's important stuff. We will great. send, we'll put the link in the notes. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. No problem. All right. All see right. y'all. Bye. Bye. So what is chivalry? And how how is it related to this spate of white supremacist terrorism that we've been seeing everywhere? And, and why is it so popular with certain subgroups? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So these, these, these shooters are recognizable. Like this is like the guy from your debate group. No. Yeah, exactly. And that's like so many of the questions I ask myself whenever I hear about mass shootings in general is, was this dude homeschooled? We have a legitimate reason. Was he reason. taught the same thing that I was? We have a legitimate reason to wonder about that because Sandy Hook was committed by a homeschooler and yep. the Austin Bomber was a homeschooler and there have been others. And a lot of them come back to white boys who are under the uh, belief that they're disenfranchised somehow from some sort of like privileged status that they are mm-hmm. supposed to have. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes back to like the chivalry teachings where it's like if you're a good guy then you get the girl and if you're right. if you follow this rule then like there's going to be some If you are prize. a gentleman, you will get a lady. If you are Sir Gowan, you're going to find the fucking grail. Yeah. And like the ladies are going to all love you. Right. Yeah, and then that doesn't happen and they lose their shit. Yeah, they get really mad that they didn't get what they were promised. Yeah. But, so what is chivalry? What is chivalry? You know, I, I, I'm going to just d- describe it in terms of my, like, anecdotal relationship to it. I mean, I obviously, I'm a literature person, so I'm very familiar with, like, the history of chivalry as a conceit. But, like, the way it's taught in these communities, like... I just keep thinking of, I I tweeted this out the other day, like all these boys at Grove City College who would open these doors that weighed like five times their weight into Mm -hmm. the student union for you when you were like a good 30 or 45 seconds down the path. And they would just hold those doors open and let the cold air blow into that building and freeze everybody's asses off just so that they could like I don't know, impress you by like mm-hmm. real making you realize that they were stalking you by walking in front of you. Like that's a new level of stalking. I'm sorry. Yeah. Just like the hyper awareness of like women in their perimeter. Um, and then like guys who would just like shove into me to try to take shit out of my arms when I was carrying it. And I'm like, I'm pretty strong. I can carry stuff. I'm mm-hmm. capable um, and they would get surprised. Like, they would always be like, oh, let me carry your backpack for you. And I'd kind of, like, be like, okay, I roll, because I know I can't win this fight, because they're never going to stop mm-hmm. bugging me. So I might as well just let them. And then they'd be like, oof, <laughs> that's so heavy. <laughs> and I'd be like, mm-hmm, now I'm going to be walking a mile and a half. Let's go. Uh, yeah, the way, like, I understood chivalry was also like the boys would run and like open the door if you were anywhere remotely close to looking like you were wandering towards the door Mm -hmm. um and what kind of 
what my experience was a lot of the time is like I would be the person who would open doors for people and stuff because that's just what I do and then I would be reprimanded for doing it because I was a girl and I should be letting boys do that and like I remember that being a thing that people talked about that girls had to work on was not doing the things and letting the boys do the things because they have to learn how to be gentlemen and you have to learn how to respect that right there was like this like culture of like teaching females (laughs) the females because that's how they would be called by by those those creatures just imagine it like a ferengi females females um (laughs) they would be calling they would be like it was like culturing us into back leading i don't know if you've ever done like ballroom dance but like i did a bunch of it and there's a way for the uh female presenting partner to back lead the follower to Mm -hmm. like actually be the leader and for the audience to never pick up on that and that's kind of how they trained us with like all of these like little cues that you could do to like make men feel like it was their idea to help you out and it make them feel like they were taking charge and responsible i mean on the flip side that's like a real weird burden and i know a lot of the guys they've since come out of that have like talked about like how how much pressure they felt to like have their shit figured out when they didn't and to like take leadership when they didn't feel comfortable doing that and to like be assertive when they knew like one of the women around them knew better what to do and they didn't Mm -hmm. and how they like you know there's a lot of pressure to like keep this like facade of being like strong and composed i remember when i was in high school the like death of chivalry was a huge huge topic um that people were blogging about and i remember like, it wasn't even just blogging. Like, people were writing books about it. It was in the books we read. Like, Gia Hinti was super popular. <laughs> and we can get into him in, like, ten minutes. Oh, my God. But, yeah, we're going to um, get there. Yeah, but, but a lot of, like... A lot of men were the, writing about feminazis. And they're throwing that word yes. around all the time. Which yeah, I think is super and ironic, and we'll bad. get to that. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, so... Uh, a lot of when, where I ran into chivalry a lot was in Team Pact and on the Revolution blog and their eventual forum and all of that thing. Which, it uh, was like, if we haven't explained to you what the Revolution is before, which we definitely have, and maybe you weren't paying attention, it is. <laughs> uh, it's Alex and Brett Harris's blog slash book slash program that teaches teens to rebel against low expectations and it the slogan is do hard things fuck dicks (laughs) (laughs) oh wait (laughs) i mean how is it different i mean it's it's not like if i was to take that seriously i would like have a whole lot more dildos in my house than i do already same though yeah. Okay. Um, anyway. <laughs> yeah. We so, like this particular yeah. joke. It's very boring. I'm sorry, guys. It's just really fun for us because we knew it's these just, guys in uh, high school. We had no idea what it meant in high school, and now I, you know, I understand. Um, Antonia Terrazas has done um, in her blackout poetry. I think she did a do hard things one, or was it you? 
I did. You did it. I okay, did I'm some, sorry. I'm yeah. mixing and, you and guys I also up. like just drew dicks in the entire book. Yeah, yeah. You you did that like an erotica version of the book. Yeah, it was just anytime there was anything that said anything remotely phallic, I just like drew a dick. Because it's everywhere. Which, it was a lot Which, of. It was basically every page. I mean, I like honestly, like the entire conceit of chivalry is pretty phallic. Like if you like look at it from a very like Jungian kind of like analysis of mythology, like the concept of chivalry goes back to this like romantic, and I mean romantic in ter- in the like literary sense, not a like the notebook, but I mean like. Sir Gawain, Sir Galahad, Beowulf, like, like quests and heroes mm-hmm. and struggle and getting to the woman at the end. We're talking Odysseus coming home to Penelope and being like, this is my wife and she hasn't had sex for 30 years because she loves me so much. Oh, my God, I'm so hot for her. Like stuff like that <laughs> right. is what chivalry is like kind of inspired it, like it like it's centered around it's like that kind of like very mm-hmm. like like noblesse oblige uh duty bound like working hard suck up your emotions like do right because there's only one way to go mm-hmm. um it's it, i mean it, it's it's all these things about toxic masculinity and fundamentalism yeah. that we've been that is exactly about. what it is yeah no like even the like guide is basically like uh what the ten commandments of chivalry oh yeah well let's <laughs> let's let's pick that up okay so Gautier, this is like early 1800s this is this this writer this french writer who wrote ten commandments of chivalry and of course like chivalry is much much older than that but he kind of like retroactively like summed it up um do you want to read them <laughs> they're really bad yeah. <laughs> one Thou shalt believe that the church teaches thou shalt observe all its directions. Oh, and thou shalt. Uh, You will defend the church. You will respect all weaknesses and constitute thyself the defender of them. You will love the country in which you were born. You will not recoil before your enemy. Which basically means when he challenges you, you gotta fight him. Right. That doesn't mean you can't can't win. That doesn't mean you can't, like, yuck his yum. That's not what that means. That means yeah. when he says, fight me, bitch, you say, okay, where? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, the, the what, the, I'm missing, it's a glove. Oh, throwing, throwing down, down the gauntlet. Thank you. I'm like, it's gaunt something. <laughs> not the skinny kind, the kid right, glove kind. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, you will make war against the infidel without cessation and without mercy. And by that, they mean Muslims. Yeah. This is and yeah, this is it, getting into everything we're talking subtle. about. It is later. not subtle. Oh god. Yeah. Or everything uh, we talked about earlier and by the time you get this. You will perform scrupulously your feudal duties if they are not contrary to the laws of God. Which means uphold capitalism or else yep. you die. Yes. Basically. Yeah. You will never lie and you must remain faithful to your pledged word. Which means you'll be don't unionize. <laughs> yeah, because like it's it's a it's like the loyalty stuff. Like it's it's about it pledging fealty to your your lord and whoever it is that and you're, your you're committing is your to. Employer. Yeah, your lord yeah. is your employer. So this is like number eight. Don't unionize. 
Yeah. Uh, you will be generous and give largesse to everyone. Okay, I can give you that. You will be everywhere and always the champion of the right and the good against injustice and evil. And if that is not a fucking dog whistle, I don't know what is. <laughs> that means whatever the Pope says, go and or your boss and or, and you know, or whatever, whatever, whatever like white arbitrary Christian, white Christian bullshit yeah. is the thing. Yeah. And so, you know, those that's what a lot of like the background of chivalry that I learned was based on and what a lot of kind of the revolution and people who were writing about it at the time that I was in high school uh, were basing it off of as well. The revolution did like a six, five part series on modern chivalry in 2006 and one of the there was first of all the names of them was uh the modern day gentleman which starts off with the definition of noblesse oblige um and <laughs> which like, by like the way the opening... like the, the term noblesse oblige like it it comes from the the concept of like the beneficent landowner like the successful capitalist who is supposed to like give health care to his employees Right, Basically. yeah, which is just so, so, so kind, so kind of them. So kind of them. So kind of them to do. Um, I'm just giving a materialist reading of everything today. Sorry, guys. I mean, but that's what it is, though. That's the entire point of chivalry. So pull like, white capitalism. It is. That is exactly what it is. Okay. Um, yeah, and so the way that, like, the revolution described it was a gentleman was a man who took care to serve and protect those who are weaker than him physically, mentally, or financially. Uh, a man who showed respect and consideration for others, both by courteous manners and good grooming for this man, or should I say his modern day equivalent that I am an advocate today. Oh, it is for this man that I'm an advocate today. The gentleman has all but disappeared in our day and it is high time we brought him back. Which the gentleman, like, like the gentleman, the gentleman <laughs> is like that term always originally implied land ownership that yeah. employed that implied that you had peasants in your service that employed that yep. you were upper class. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like and, and how else are you going to be well groomed and as all of the things that you should be like the entire yeah, only rich people, the entire class week. of chivalrous knights or whatever were, I mean, knights. So they were well off. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, not were, all of the were knights the, were well off, but they were course. they were they were educated and they could get yeah. jobs. Right. Like they, they were able to become knights. They, their mothers <laughs> bribed their way into Yale. Right. <laughs> Exactly. USC. <laughs> Whether or not they were smart, that's another matter, but they got into USC. Yes. Mm. Okay, uh, but and Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, so the the one that's called uh When Lancelot Comes Writing Part One has this great anecdote. Uh that is imagine that a princess has been kidnapped by an evil ogre and locked in a dark gloomy castle but suddenly a brave knight in shining armor rides up on a white horse swims the castle moat in full armor wins a hard-fought victory over the vicious ogre finds her cell and calls out stay back i'm going to break down the door to free you wouldn't it ruin the story if she responded oh don't bother i wouldn't want to inconvenience you 
Sadly, this is the way many modern-day fairy tales end. A gentleman tries to serve a girl. She responds by being embarrassed because she doesn't want to inconvenience him, and he is discouraged from acting the part of a man. <laughs> no, actually... He smells bad and like lives in her mom, <laughs> his just... mom's basement and she he's been stalking her online for months and she's like, please go away. I have a restraining order. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got to say, though, like, let's just like take a second to acknowledge the fact that Lancelot is the one that like Queen Guinevere cheated with. Yeah. Like, you know, given the, the circumstances of that, like. She thought that her husband sent him to have sex with her. If I'm not mis, if I don't, if I'm remembering this correctly, I could be misremembering it. Sometimes that happens, but um, like Sir Lancelot, like very well may have been a rapist. <laughs> like yeah. they're just like kind of upholding this this guy. At the very least, he's a fucking philanderer, which right. you know, like we don't have any problems with consensual philandering, but like uh. This was yeah. not consensual, according to the story. Anyway, just just an aside. Right. Well, you know, what is... Like, women are just supposed to be there to accept your uh, serving. And, you know, like, like so many of the posts that they wrote about this was about what boys should do and how girls should respond. Mm-hmm. Like, it was boys should be doing this thing because it's selfless and good and girls should be allowing it because feminism is bad and like it didn't take into account how this actually works in practice right obviously okay so i think this like like is a really good segue into the connection with abortion and pro-life rhetoric yeah because a lot of times i think there's a lot of like (laughs) pathetic white dudes who have never had a significant relationship with a woman who is not their mother, mm-hmm. who think that they are pro-life and think that that is the way to be chivalrous and kind to women and really yep. think that they know what's best for our uteruses, those of us who have them. And so it's like this 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 conceit is really dark because it's this... Like I know, I know better I know than better. you about what's good for you. Yeah. So I mean, okay, sure. Like holding the door is kind of innocuous, but the assumption is like, I can do it better, so I should mm. do it. Yeah. So. And also, like, I have to prove to you that I'm like some kind of whatever. Yeah. So I have to do this. Right. Exactly. So it's just like. Yeah, it just gets very complicated very quickly when you, like, start peering into it. Like, at first it kind of looks like, oh, that's nice. Like, yeah, sure, I want flowers. Like, I want some help moving. Like, cool, I will use this, like, tool. But this tool is really, really gross. And it's been up the asshole of white supremacy for, like, the last 500 years. Ever. Like, since it's been invented, oh, yeah, really. yeah, longer like, than that. That was, was the entire point of it. It's the entire point of it was to be used as a dildo for white supremacy. Yeah. So, anyway, um, <laughs> basically, like, where I'm going with this is, is if you look at the rhetoric of um, men at pro-life marches and at men who are involved in... Uh, terrorism at abortion clinics. We're going to put up a link to a particular story 
um, from the New York Times from 1984 or 1985. Um, yeah, 1985 in Pensacola, Florida, where there's like this really great um, evil little Christian school that you should look up sometime if you want to be horrified. Um, Pensacola Christian College. But um, these bombers were these Christian kids who called themselves yeah. protectors of the code. And according to the New York Times article, their mission was to defend the ideals of chivalry. And they bombed an abortion clinic on yep. Christmas. Because that's so chivalrous. That's so chivalrous. That's like, that's how you help women. Mm-hmm. Right. You make pipe yeah. bombs for Christmas. Yep. That's what we yeah. want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. You defeat, you like remove their <laughs> access to healthcare. That's very chivalrous that's, of you and kind. Thank you. Yeah. That's God's work. That's how you protect the code. Thank you very much. And I think what that, like, this gets into my next big point. Like, a lot of this is centered in the virginity cult. Oh, yeah. And, like, yeah. that's... Like, that's... It's meant to uphold it. That's, like, the enforcement right. of it. Right. So, Sir Lancelot's, like, big deal was he wasn't a... He was a virgin, and he was, like, saving himself for Queen Guinevere or nobody. Like, <laughs> on, the, on the flip side, there's this whole, like, chivalry is... Um, historically, it, behind a lot of the language of the KKK and of lynching, yep. well, if you look at like how the Confederates talked, a lot of it was like this, like really twisted, like we have to protect our women and children. Mm-hmm. And the like, and they didn't finish the sentence, but like if they were going to finish the sentence, it'd be from being raped by black men. Like that was yep. their idea of what was going to happen. So there's this, there's this like, one, there's a fetish, fetishization of black bodies as like perverse and sexual and animal, which really connects to our henty stuff later. Mm-hmm. And those are all like absolutely false. And then there's this whole thing about like, and because of that, they're going to attack white women who are the paragon of virtue and holiness right. and purity and like like Mama Mary, like Holy Mother right. of God. Like let's like draw all of the parallels to like virgin horror shit. Um, so a lot of the lynchings, when you look at the history of that kind of violence, I think there's this the, this this story from 1924 that I've been reading up on today. Raymond Bird was a black man. Um, he's 31. He was from Withville, Virginia, um, and he, which is near where I live, and he was uh, lynched in 1924 because a, a white woman had his baby, or said she had his baby. <laughs> like I don't even yeah. know if it was actually his baby, but she said she had his baby, and he was imprisoned for quote unquote rape, and then he was lynched, and it was incredibly violent, and. Um, I'm not going to get into this because you don't need to read about it um, or hear about it unless you want to read about it. And we'll put a link up if you do. But what was the rhetoric behind it? It was all chivalry. It was all chivalry. Yeah. Um, you want to carry this on and talk about the KKK? Yeah. So in their constitution, it says this order is an institution of chivalry, humanity, justice, and patriotism, embodying in its genius and principles all that is chivalric in conduct, noble in sentiment, yes, generous in manhood, and patriotic in purpose. Mm. Like, this is... 
Yeah. It's it's all all based in that. It's it's almost like chivalry was created to uphold white supremacy. Like I mean, like let's talk about like all of the crusades in the Middle Ages were about white supremacy. Yep. Like yeah. 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 Absolutely. <sighs> yeah. Well, and, and so like it's not surprising that that's something that has permeated through this whole time. Right. And it's not surprising that this like language of chivalry pops up in situations where we're discussing white supremacists, white terrorists, mm-hmm. incels, all of these yep. groups like think that they've got God on their side because they think that they're protecting white women because they think that white women are their property. Yep. And so they have and to, need protect to be protected. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Their property needs to be protected because it's not the woman that's important. It's the white uterus that can reproduce yeah. with their white sperm to make more white babies so that, yep. you know, whatever, they're going to have their fucking Aryan paradise. Yep. Yep. It's because that's what the law exists to protect is property, not people. Yep. It's property. And white women are honestly property like that's how they see this that's how they believe it and so they're like obviously this is how this is how it works and if you don't believe me go read jessica valenti's the purity myth because i've talked about this a lot and that's your gateway drug into understanding how all this works yep um okay G.A. Henty. <laughs> We've come a long way to finally get to the yes. point of this entire episode. We are now at the point where we get to G.A. Henty. We've been understand. trying to get to G.A. Henty for a really long time, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> it is property and white supremacy. Okay, so <laughs> who the fuck was this guy? He wrote a lot. He wrote a lot of books. He was a war correspondent. In like 1800 something He died in 1902 He was a Very like Bearded patriarch Kind of figure from Imperial England Who wrote uh, Yeah he was a conflict correspondent War correspondent I mean he basically like followed the British Empire As it was expanding And Mm -hmm. wrote about it Like he reported on like India and the opening of the Suez Canal. Like he was there for all of these like big deal moments where the British Empire, like and its insatiable appetite for brown bodies and blood and destru- destruction and property, um, got what it wanted. Yep. So where did you run into him? <laughs> he was like he was just like common reading. Like he was everywhere. Like his his books were just like just things that people had. Like I saw them in the homeschool book sales. Like he it was very prolific. He wrote a lot of books. Um and a lot of the boys that I knew read them. Uh and and saw like the way he portrayed men. I guess, and chivalry as, like, the thing they should try to embody. And that was just, like, a huge, huge influence on, like, the behavior of a lot of the boys that I knew. Right. Okay, so we got to go back a little bit in um, homeschool 
the constellation of homeschool history to mm-hmm. explain how G.A. Henty became so popular in our world. Yeah. Because we had so many of his books, like so many of these like gorgeous hardcover, like thick, luscious paper with like, you know, embossed titles. Like these were mm-hmm. like $30, $35 books. And, and homeschool families had dozens of them. Oh, yeah. Um, And it's, it, okay, so... I've talked about Auburn Avenue theology before. I'm going to talk about it again. It's this like collective of Presbyterian conservative um, thinkers and like pastors and theologians, these leaders in the Presbyterian, like reformed Presbyterian, like far right wing Presbyterian community who got together and were basically trying to push um, theonomous teachings and like mm-hmm. come to an agreement about like how how their theology worked in terms of theonomy and when I say theonomy I mean like God has predestined America to be in a Christian nation and before Christ can return we have to return it to biblical law like we have to return Christ yep. to like the, not Christ to, we have to return the United States to like a situation where like stoning a rebellious son is legal basically we need to go back to being puritanical right yeah and douglas wilson was one of these guys and douglas wilson is a big writer who's involved in like the revitalization of these like neo-victorian values so you see him writing books about betrothal and courtship we see him writing about biblical manhood and womanhood he's prolific he is um, I guess he's the guy who founded that really weird little Christian school in Moscow, Idaho, and, like, basically runs his little cult mm. there. And he's, like, a slavery apologist. Uh, and he believes that he's, like, one of those guys who's like, yeah, but the war between the states, because he never calls it the Civil War. The Civil War. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, the war between the states was just about um, the government overstepping. Mm-hmm. And everybody was actually behind enslaving humans because that's biblical. And, uh, you know, you, like, slaves, slaves were required to submit to their masters and their masters were supposed to teach them Christianity and that was their noblesse oblige. Like, I mean, he's, like, basically tapping into all these, these language, yep, yep, yep. all of these dog whistle pieces that are, like, present in the Harris writings. And the Harris kids, like, grew up indoctrinated by this stuff. Yeah. They, in- grew, they grew up being kind of discipled by thinkers like Douglas Wilson. Yep. So Douglas Wilson, we're going to put a link to this PDF that's, like, real fucked up. This is his book. That's a little pamphlet on, like, basically an apology for Southern slavery as biblical. Yeah. Um, he basically says... That Jerry Fal- Falwell believed that slavery was was biblical as well, which like, I mean, yeah, it was. This is part of why the Bible's so fucked up. This is part of why the church needs to like denounce yeah. racism and like deal with this. Exactly. But Douglas Wilson also helped mentor um, the founders of Vision Form. Right. Yeah. Who, and we've talked about Vision Form before. Yeah, so they, you know, run a lot of the sort of media for homeschoolers. They had, like, a film expo thing. 
they write books. There's a bunch. It's they do a lot of indoctrination. Yeah, and in Doug Phillips is the founder, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. They also brought back a lot of. They had a publishing arm, and they brought back a lot of this Victorian propaganda. Yep. Literature and got it reprinted because a lot of it was in the public public domain, and so they just started making a ton of money off of reprinting yep. henty books, basically among other things. Yeah. Um, I think they were the primary publisher of them. I don't think anybody else did. Yeah, no, I think I think they were the primary. Okay, we'll fact check that in we'll our find. in our notes later. Yeah. So, what was the first henty book you read? I don't actually know. I think I might have just like skimmed through the henty books because they were boy books. Oh, okay, I was obsessed with them because they were boy books. I really liked reading boy books. I did too, but I read like the Hardy Boys and. Oh, see, I thought Hardy Boys was, like, kind of boring and below me. (laughs) Basically, all these books... You also read a lot more than I did. Yeah, yeah, that's my problem. I just always do that. Yeah, so the the Hinty books, like, have this, like, formula where it's, like, abnormally blonde and blue-eyed child, and we have no idea where he came from, but he's in this brown village with brown people and suddenly he realizes that he actually belongs with ex-imperial force, or not. Um, right. And other important imperial force is coming to oppress ex-Aryan community. And he must save the day. And he, you know, sneaks into battle and actually doesn't get anyone killed. And actually, like you know, releases some livestock into the field and, like, disorients things and, like, actually saves the day mm-hmm. somehow. It's a trope. It's a, a very stock, yeah. like, plug-in, XN, solve for Y, mm-hmm. kind of formulaic, crap Victorian fiction. It's propaganda. Yep, yep. There's nothing smart about it, except for the vocabulary. Maybe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But we gobbled these up. Like, I, I know so many people who read so many of them. I know so many people who, like, yeah, they were just like, oh, G.A. Henty is the best. You should read G.A. Henty. I'm like, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's like, I mean, he did, have a, he did have a vocabulary that, like, kind of, like, I don't know, probably some data scientists could, like, fact check this. But I feel like it was on par with Tolkien's. Like he was like Right, like that was it was like, it was like if you were done reading Tolkien then move to GA Henty. Yeah, basically. you were you were like looking for something else that was gonna be yeah, you know, lusciously or grotesquely descriptive. <laughs> yeah. You were looking for something that was Anglocentric. You were looking for something that was like heavy vocabulary and your mother would like be impressed because she would have trouble getting into it and you yep. read Ivanhoe already also and so you were looking yeah. for something else and this is what you went to yeah I just like read Ivanhoe and I stopped there Ivanhoe is full this crap too oh yeah it really is <laughs> Ivanhoe bored me to tears actually I it, it was a struggle I was like geez why do I have to read this book right are we making sense like are we connecting chivalry enough with like the white supremacy stuff because I feel like I feel like we keep coming back to how it's white supremacist. I mean, I feel like that's every episode. It's like, I know. It's almost like everything comes back to white supremacy and capitalism. Right. And like our entire childhood was not so subtly geared to enforce that forever. Right. Exactly. Which is why we think that we recognize all these shooters because they yeah. sound like 
kids we did well, debate they, with us. Yeah, and like they're a lot of the stuff they espouse is stuff that we also grew up hearing, like or in environments that were similar to what we grew up in. Mm-hmm. Well, let's um let's finish um, damning Mr. Henty for his white supremacy here. Let's um. Do you want to read this quote from one of his novels? It has a chapter called The N-Word Character. I've highlighted yeah, it. Yeah, I will I will I will read the read the quote. Read this horrible quote. We're finding this yeah. this is um this was mined by um, Rachel Maddow a couple years back in uh, I think 2010 on her show, and we'll put a link up to that transcript up there too. Yeah. So there was the chapter. And the quote is, they are just like children. They are always either laughing or quarreling. They are good-natured and passionate, indolent, but will work hard for a time, clever up to a certain point, densely stupid beyond. The intelligence of an average N-word is about equal to that of a European child of 10 years old. They are fluent talkers, but their ideas are borrowed. They are absolutely without originality, absolutely without inventive power. Living among white men, they're imitated... Yeah, imitative faculties enable them to attain considerable amount of civilization. Left to their own devices, they retrograde into a state little above their native savagery. So... Can we just... I mean, he's dead, but, like, I want to strangle him many times over. Let's find his grave and pee on it. Yes. Um, Let's have a party and do that. Burn a pile of shit on top of it. I mean, basically, like, this is... Like, he's not not being inventive here. Like, this is the language of... Of empire. This is, is the language is of that time. This is the language, not just of that time, but this is the language that we got in here, like told was yeah. our our yep. cultural inheritance. Yeah, and like I was never told this this explicitly, mm-hmm. but that whole thing was implied whenever race came up in any like book that I was reading or history, like. It was always that people of color are lesser and less intelligent, and that's just how God made them, which is such fucking bullshit. Mm-hmm. But, like, that was – it's it seeped in everything. Right. So you'll see Henty saying this stuff. If you read the Douglas Wilson book, you see him saying this stuff. And then you mm-hmm. see these teenage – Christian boys absorbing that absorbing this and regurgitating it on their revolution blog and like reindoctrinating their peers with this like basically backwashed white supremacist yeah. rhetoric. Yeah. Yeah, it like by the time it got to the revolution they were like we're colorblind. We don't see color. Color doesn't exist. Mm. But it's still there. It's through it's permeated it it's it's still there yeah so you know we this is stuff that we've been paying attention to for a long time this is stuff that like the more we we dig into it in this current political atmosphere the more we realize how it's all interconnected and you can hear us like figuring it out as we're talking to you but like it shouldn't be surprising and it doesn't surprise us when this stuff becomes violent, and when the, this stuff is this, the the rhetoric um, that backs up our country's 
really bullshit um, and lax gun laws. It's because, like, the rhetoric for gun laws is basically tied to chivalry stuff. It is. It is. It is entirely tied to saving the women. Like, that's whenever whenever people talk about about like gun control the first thing that comes up is but how will we protect the women and children right and it's like not this way clearly and i i I like shooting guns i do not own one but it is something that i occasionally enjoy and they scare the hell out of me and i don't want to live with one because this is where it comes from this yep. is why it's prioritized. This is why it's valued. I mean, this, the history. Yeah. I mean, the history of gun ownership is like basically like, let's kill savages. Like that's where right. they were like invented. It's, it's <laughs> only only acceptable for white people to have them. Yeah. And the law exists to keep white people having them and no one else having them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it like so many people that I grew up with believed this stuff. And have literal arsenals in their, like, entryway closets full of, like, ammo and grenades and guns that are somewhat military grade. You know, just in case the day comes where they have to protect their family. Yeah. And I mean, I can see, I can see, I'm not going to endorse, but I can see and understand a rationale that says that, like, queer people right now need that kind of stuff. And journalists right now need that kind of stuff because they're being actively targeted i feel that sometimes <laughs> and i think about it by violence and it's that's that there's a there's a good logic there but honestly like uh the less that these no, things are around and available the better it's for our society yeah anyway um that's a whole tangent right <laughs> that's an entirely other thing yeah well, uh, this episode got really dark. I'm glad to the Twitter person who asked us about it. Yes. Thank you for mentioning Shivori. Yeah. Our friends on Twitter are great when we ask them questions. Ask us more yes. questions, guys. Yes. Ask us more questions because Eve is coming down and we can totally do a Q&A podcast. Whoa, so. Whoa. Yeah. So, um... You know, if you like this podcast, you should really, really support us on our Patreon. Um, you know, we are freelance writers and activists and all of this stuff that we're doing, we're doing for you because we're passionate about it and we love it and uh, it doesn't pay our bills. So please help it us. Really <laughs> please, yeah. please buy us some beer. Please uh, keep our lights on. Um, please help us buy new phones. I don't know. Whatever it is that <laughs> yeah. we need that like is dying this week. We need to stay alive. Healthcare, oh my whatever. God, so many things. Yeah. Basic shit. Ugh. Um Healthcare. The music from yeah. this episode is by The Heavens from their album Stenazo. You can find our contact info, the way to email us questions, and a link to our Patreon at kitchentablecult.com. And our Patreon itself is slash kitchen table cult pod. Please join. It doesn't cost a lot. You get early access to stuff. Yeah. And if you're in Oakland, the Bay Area next weekend and you want to come watch us do a podcast. Come hang out and meet us. Do it. Follow us. We will announce it on Twitter. Yeah. And email and Patreon. So follow us all of those places. Get in touch. Yeah. And we will see you next week. Or hear you. Yeah, you'll hear us. You'll hear us. You're hilarious. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining. Bye. Bye. Bye.